Welcome to Gears Action Growth, shifting business culture one conversation at a time. My name is Dr. Josephine Paladma, and my superpower is creating business cultures that transform organizations team by team. Today, Dr. Ian Butterworth speaks to Warwick Peel about all things sustainability. Ian Butterworth here for another session of Gears Action Growth, where we discuss topics that help organisations leverage the power of people in their business. Today we're plunging into the biggest sustainability topic of them all, which is the sustainability of human life on Mother Earth. Um, and I'm really delighted to welcome to our panel today, Warwick Peel, whom I've had the pleasure of meeting virtually, never IRL, but virtually through uh, his leadership of the United Nations Association of Australia's Climate Change Collaboration. And Warwick is also an entrepreneur and startup wizard. Warwick, I'm still trying to get my head around this whole new world. I feel like Rip Van Winkle waking up after 50 years and there's this whole other world emerging. Um, which is why I was really keen to talk with you because I'm... Um, yeah, I, I've been feeling in my bones that I'm definitely Gen X slash baby boomer the last few days. I went into a meeting in the city on Thursday, um, which was in a startup space full of Gen Zs running around setting up stuff. Uh, and I just felt like some relic from the 20th <laughs> century. Um, but you're my bridge to that world. So we'd love to hear about you. Could you tell us a, bit, a little bit about yourself and um, your work as a startup entrepreneur and your interest in all things climate, please? Yeah, thanks, Ian. Um, oh, look, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Gen X as well. Um, it's just that I probably prefer to play the, the, the Gen X millennial um, uh, connection part rather than the baby boomer part. Um, I argue with my folks enough <laughs> around things like climate change. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I mean, I started my entrepreneurial journey um, back in 2009. Uh, I was completing my um, international master's over at Northeastern University in Boston. And so that was effectively my um, three-month sabbatical um, from my uh, then firm I was working for as a headhunter. So I shifted um, myself and a, a, a colleague um co-founded a, a search firm in, in carbon markets, renewable energy, responsible investment, ESG, etc. And uh, yeah, that was sort of the, the start of my entrepreneurial journey, some sort of, I don't know, what's that, 13 years ago. Uh, and then to that point, I just, you know, I, I found this this happy nexus of, of, of capitalism and, and environmentalism. So I sort of was, was happy that I could put these two things together um, being that, you know, I sort of grew up, um, you know, out in the, in the outer eastern suburbs, which, um, you know, we used to go yabbing and, and catching lizards. And I had, you know, 12 blue tongue lizards and, you know, we used to go camping in the bush and all that sort of jazz. So it was, it was just for me a, a passion of, of nature and, and being able to sort of to, to play in that space was, was just, um, you know, felt like, you know, two worlds were, were, were finally aligning in, in which we needed to shift way back then. And, and obviously, you know, as we know today, it's, it's magnified um, enormously to the point that, you know, 
uh, everyone knows that, that climate change is real and everyone knows the, the scale and, and the size of the task um, is, is just one that, that if we don't get it right, um, Mother Earth will go on, but we won't as humans. So um, that's sort of, you know, come to be a, a, a realisation for myself. And so I, th I think entrepreneurship is the, one of the, the machinery that we can use to, to really implement those solutions um, because a lot of the solutions already exist. So you must spend a lot of your time engaging with, interacting, observing, um, negotiating with organisations in addition to starting them up yourself. Um, what, what's your experience like of engaging with, say, the existing organisational system, the, the current, you know, dominant superstructure of organisations? What what's your experience like? Uh, look, I, I won't say it's always been a, a happy one, um, particularly in this, um, you know, this little island called Australia with 25 million people where a monopoly of four banks, um, three gen tailors and, and two grocers are, are, are front and centre and, and all of which are, are purely focused on 25 million customers. Um, so that's, that's always been a challenge. Um, but it's, I think it's always about the narrative and, and the problem statement of these organisations. You know, at some point they weren't, you know, too, too engaged on climate action and, and they've only just released their net zero positions, um, you know, really in the past 12 months, of which most of them are pretty lame, as in, you know, 2050. By then it's all going to be a bit too late, right? Um, but you think about um, other avenues, so... You know, so myself uh, um, and a, another chap co-founded something called Future Directors Institute, which was all about empowering the next generation. I.e., speaking of the 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 the, the um, millennials and the and the Gen Zs, as well as Gen X, into the boardroom to have these deeper conversations and ask these questions around the the tectonic shifts that we need, both digital and technology transfer, but also around climate risk and understanding natural capital as an asset um you know that, that we need to think differently about these these big risks and opportunities so yeah look i mean i think the engagement with industry is is often tricky um i'm doing it in my current role as as leading um partnerships for the global entrepreneur congress in may next year and you know i'd say 80 percent of the asx 200 you know entrepreneurs aren't their customer uh, nor their employee nor their um, investment so they're disengaged right but the 20 percent that are well they're, they're they're all in right and they understand that the next generation are going to have portfolio careers and have their side hustle while they're working full-time right so that's just the nature of of how the the next generation are going to be adopting the future of work What's your experience like with the corporate sector and even government in terms of organisations becoming the vanguard for change? I mean, I did my PhD in the 90s on environmental adult education. And back then, I was observing that the huge majority of environmental education was pitched at individuals. And it was usually pitching at individuals to put out their recycling and, you know, buy different types of light bulbs. But 
the huge the huge uh, blockage and enabler is the core is the organizational level institutional level for actually making the change happen and demonstrating that it's in everyone's best interests to do so have, have you seen any shifts occurring in that in the time you've been involved oh 100 percent uh ian so i think it's interesting we i've I was always of the opinion that governments are slow to act and, and there's a lot of bureaucracy, etc. But I've seen a quite a significant shift, um, not only in, in recent years around their willingness to invest in the startups, um, either the, the infrastructure that supports the entrepreneurs and or directly invest um, and sizable amounts of money as well, right? So, you know, even to the point, you know, Launch Vic, you know, Victoria's startup agency has done some amazing stuff. I've I've actually worked with them in delivering startup governance to a couple of hundred founders, um, as well as you know the the you know federal government, but but also more more broadly, you know if 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 we look at someone like um, there's a book by Mariana Mazzucato, who's an innovation professor in Europe, and and her book's called The Entrepreneurial State, and if you if you read sort of the, the, the interesting sort of history of venture capital, it was often governments who were first to the table in investing in these new industries, i.e. life sciences and biotech, um, clean tech, um, you know, so, and, and even, you know, now with, with, you know, the needs around, you know, food security and, and, and our changes in food systems, ag tech, food tech, um, and more broadly, agriculture innovation and, and systems change. So I think it's interesting that governments um, sometimes are um, perceived as, as you know, slow and, 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 and bureaucratic. But, but right now, you know, Victoria's also just recently released, a, you know, a $2 billion breakthrough fund um, to invest in deep tech and emerging tech, um, commercialising um, R&D with the universities um, and I'm sure at some point they'll invest directly um, which yes they already have actually in a health Wow that's exciting Yeah so there's some really cool stuff going on and even at the federal level with CSIRO and and their um, partnership with Main Sequence Ventures who have invested over 100 million in multiple sort of startups and um, you know what Larry Marshall has done there has been brilliant um, but even in the US, uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Case, um, who was the founder of AOL America Online, um, advised Obama's office on their startup policy. And so they've been amazingly progressive. And then you look at, you know, places like Israel and Singapore and, you know, their governments, you know, have effectively, um, you know, accelerated the investment in in startups and and technology to the point that you know they're now um tech makers rather than tech consumers right australia is still a tech consumer we we buy buy in more tech than we make and and scale out to the, the export markets but we're on our way um if you get that piece right then that's the new economic growth model awesome Warwick, Josie. Warwick, yeah i'm interested in um, particularly in the startup space, who's actually making an impact? Do you could you tell us just to bring it to life a little bit? What are some of the success stories there around making an impact on 
particularly some of those problems we need to solve for climate? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think you, in terms of Australia, there's a couple of rock star names, i.e. Atlassian um, and, and Mike Cannon-Brooks and Scott Farquhar. Um, and what they've done, you know, obviously their company's valued at multiple billions of dollars, but then, you know, Mike um, announced 1.5 billion to invest in climate action, of which, um, you know, that's quite significant. Um, he's even obviously been engaged in in uh, creating a board spill of Australia's largest polluter in AGL and and taking a, a, a reasonable stake in that that company to then shift their their entire strategy towards a decarbonisation net zero strategy um, well before what the previous um, board uh, was was agreeing to so that's one example and and those guys also um, pay it forward as in investing and mentoring the next generation of startups um, they've also got a foundation that invests significantly in, in education and edtech um, to support the next generation around how they're going to be successful by leveraging the power of technology. Um, so that's one example. And then you've got, um, you know, the, the likes of Canva, um, which is, you know, Melanie Perkins, Cliff and, and Cam. Uh, and, and what they've done is is created a, a, a Canva foundation. Uh, I, I, I recall they, them stating something like a third of their wealth will go to impact. Um, now, I haven't seen sort of, you know, the latest on what, what that's all about. But again, there's a big shift happening in, in you know, the sort of tech companies now seeing that, okay, I've, I've created my own wealth um, and now I want to contribute to, you know, the, the, the world around me and, and, and really pay it forward in, in, in now sort of, you know, empowering the next gen and, and, and solving these wicked problems, right? I need to see how we've shifted since the mining lobby kiboshed, torpedoed uh, the Labor's previous uh, carbon pricing system. I, I'll never forget those ads that appeared on rotation. It seems to me like when we first met, when Josie and I met with you a few weeks ago, um, uh, Gina Reinhart had just made her classic uh, foot in mouth uh, um, stunt to pull funding out of Netball Australia because uh, one of their First Nations members, um, you know, dared to remind the Australian community of Gina Reinhart's father's overt, hideous racism. And, I mean, if it seems to me that since the mining lobby successfully torpedoed the previous attempt for a, a carbon price mechanism, it seems to me that we've moved suddenly very quickly towards this cap on gas prices. And, and it also seems that major corporates that misread the public mood around climate are actually they're actually tanking in terms of their public image or something is is there a shift that you can determine that's happened quite quickly recently uh look i, I wouldn't say it's quite quickly recently i think it's been going on for a long time right and 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 the mining and gas companies are always going to lobby um you know and, and try to halt progress but at the same time 
you know, the investment banks and the institutional investors have been saying, hey, um, this is a global price on, on this thing called carbon or pollution, whichever way you want to put it. And so what that price looks like, um, to, to give you an idea, one of our big gas companies right now, I, I, I met the uh, head of decarbonisation when I was in uh, WA, um, they're, they're, they're in their models, they're pricing carbon at $90 a tonne. Um, and I think at the moment, I think it sits at about 50 to 60. But the reality is that that's, that number is only going to go up um, because wow. globally our carbon budget is, is of a certain size. I, I, I don't know the actual numbers today specifically, but, but even way back when, when um, carbon was priced at, at, you know, I think it was 20 or 30 bucks a tonne in, in 2009 when, um, when the CPRS was first introduced and, and got through and then got sort of kicked out pretty quickly um, due to, you know, Julia Gillard and Kevin Rudd having a bit of a disagreement. Um, but way back then, AGL's annual liability on their balance sheet was $600 million dollars. Um, estimated to be six hundred million dollars, so that's not that's not just a one-off payment. That's an annual liability that you have to reconcile year in year out, um, and that that Can applies you... to you know pretty much most of these companies that are polluting. Excuse my dummy's financial brain. When you're talking about that six hundred million dollar annual liability, what where's that money? What's that money having to be spent on? Well, either investing in, in uh, carbon credits, as in, uh-huh. in investing in, um, you know, there's something called the Carbon Farming Initiative, which is, which is sort of, you know, the, which then generates carbon offsets and minimises or, or sequests carbon. carbon. Um, otherwise, directly invest in renewables to then, to then balance that, that shift. Um, okay. And hence, they've had a significant um, shift in in their investment portfolio um, from away from coal, closing those those power plants earlier than we would have ever expected. Um, yeah. I think 2028, and I think one's closing in 2026, etc. When previously forecast at like 2035 or 2040. So, moving all that forward. Um, and then investing significantly in wind and solar assets, um, massive commercial solar assets. And to the point, I think, you know, I just read Liddell, one of the, the, the coal power plants that they're closing. They're now um, investing in a, in a mega battery, um, battery storage plant. So all this sort of stuff's happening at, at scale because, you know, the global investors have have, you know, the the, the numbers speak speak volumes. Um, so there's no more, you know, there's there will continue to be lobbying, but but these companies have accepted that hey, we need to shift our our assets um, into these new um, market opportunities because otherwise we're going to be um, a stranded asset as a company and therefore no longer seek to exist. Do you still see 
organizations that are still clinging on to outmoded beliefs that they don't need to change in the face of all of this evidence that they do? Oh, look, definitely. Um, you know, there's another gas company that's um, headquartered in South Australia. Um, yeah, they're, they're, you know, just headbutting with with industry and, and somewhat being ignorant. And there's plenty of those, right? Like I think, you know, some of the big sort of oil and gas companies globally um, still haven't shifted. Um, you know, they're, they're sticking to, to what they know. Um, whereas, you know, the likes of a, a Shell and a BP have significantly shifted in regards to investment in, you know, everything from biofuels to clean technology and, and really starting to shift their portfolios. Um, you what know, do you think it, the tipping point will be? Is it, are we just going to wake up some, one day and the dial's moved across the halfway mark and then suddenly we've just moved into a new way of thinking? Or What, what do you think is going to happen? I, I would love to think that, Ian. Um, and as much as I'm an optimist, uh, I also think that, um, that the solutions aren't being implemented quick enough and at the scale they need to be. Um, so I, I have a, I have a doubt that that will actually take place. I think it, I think it might, but I think it will be too late by the time it takes place, unfortunately. Um, sadly, I think that I, I have this sort of hypothesis that I keep talking to that, um, mother earth will continue, um, beyond 2100. However, I don't think humans will. Um, it wow. will be we we will have have you know died of heat exhaustion, um, uh, a whole myriad of things. Um, you know, probably there'll be you know waves of of asthma, um, thunderstorms, and and all sorts of um, you know there there'll be you know. Plenty of, of drowning, I think, because there's going to be climate refugees all over the world. You know, there'll be tsunamis, you know, literally take out nations. I mean, it's, it's I don't mean to paint a, a, a black picture, but I think that might happen. Oh, okay. Josie. So, Warwick, in that, um, how, do you, how do you reconcile and motivate your, the, the work that, you, that you're doing? Because that is a really bleak picture. And, of course, we can put our heads in the sand and we don't want to do that. But there has to be some slither of hope for us to, you know, get out of bed every morning and just keep going. What keeps you going, Warwick? Well, I mean, I say these things because it, it, it helps us think differently about, you know, there's this, this sort of, um, communicate, save the planet. Now, forget about saving her. She'll, she'll be fine, right? But, but save yourselves. You know, we need to save ourselves and, and save humanity. And so I think if we, if we start to realise that, then we're going to start to act. Um, so that's where I think, you know, I'm intrinsically motivated by impact and connecting the dots and 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 trying to enact behaviour change and 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 you know co-create with communities you know a lot of different projects. Um, 
but but at the same time, I think we have to just ask these big bold questions and sometimes paint a bleak picture because that's what it could look like. I mean, saving the planet is human denial that what we need to save and restore is our relationship with the planet. Um, It's like people go off and have another baby instead of exploring the fact that their relationship is dysfunctional. Um, And I think at a global level, we need to do that. I, I imagine... One thing that gives me hope, I, I went into that co-working space the other day and the energy in that room was amazing. I mean, I didn't even know what half those kids were doing, but I was told they were developing startups, which a lot of them have a very strong ecological focus. And I guess my hope is that Gen Z or whoever comes after Gen Z are going to be setting up organisations that have a completely different set of values and expectations Um that are based not on rampage, but actually about creating the very connectivity um, that you're talking about, Warwick. Can you throw me a bone? Can you see evidence of that happening? Uh, look, I hang out in, in those types of environments uh, all the time, Ian. So, And yes, the energy is absolutely electric. Um, maybe it's even solar-powered, I, I don't know, but... Uh, um, you know, we, we say kids, but I remember when I was a, a young fella and, you know, I think we, we, you know, brush that kid part off when we're 16, 17. And, and I think these, these young adults, um, are, you know, are smarter than us in, in regards mm-hmm. to, they've been able to see that the system is broken and the systems are broken and, and they're rebels for change and they stand for something, um, they're not going to just go and get a job. They're they're creating their own jobs. Just so you know, a kid for me is anyone younger than forty. So um, just. <laughs> <laughs> um, Warwick, I know we we're going to run out of time, so I just wanted to to circle back uh, because there you mentioned the Global Entrepreneurs uh, Entrepreneurial Congress, and I'm really excited by that. I've registered. I'm going to be there. Oh. Could you tell us a little bit about that, and maybe we can um, promote that for you because I think it's going to be a wonderful event. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Josephine. So, the the Global Entrepreneur Congress um, is going to be here in Melbourne, May first to the fourth, twenty twenty three. It started back in two thousand and nine, um, and you know, it's it's based on the the sort of entrepreneurial ecosystem building and the entrepreneurial um, infrastructure that we need to empower the next generation of startups and and founders and and entrepreneurs um, to deliver impact. So there's a big impact focus, think female entrepreneurship, social enterprise, indigenous entrepreneurship, youth entrepreneurship, um, you know, right through to the UN Sustainable Development Goals and social enterprise. So there's a big focus on, on impact more broadly and and the likes of the World Bank, United Nations, OECD, Kaufman Foundation, um, and global companies, global investors, and, and the global accelerators will all be here in, in Australia. So it's super exciting. Um, pretty much all of Australia, um, all the states and territories engaged. Um, so it's gonna be a, you know, a nation building event um, and at the same time, we're going to you know, be privileged to have guests from over 200 nations. So that's pretty exciting. Wow. 
It lo- it sounds amazing. And this is open to anyone. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. You don't have to be involved in this space. I myself am going to really learn and set my mind to receive a lot of information and then see where the synergies are between what I do and what else I could do. So I'm really, you know, for me, a call to action is, you know, you don't have to be um, already in this space to go to the Congress. Is that right, Warwick? I'm just checking with you. Uh, absolutely. And, and you're right. I mean, as much as I might, you know, have hung out in these circles for a decade or so, I see it exactly the same as you. It's it's a, um, you know, you, you couldn't do a better four-day MBA on innovation and entrepreneurship than attend this this um, congress. So it's a congress as distinct from a conference. Um, some really interesting sort of global dialogue, but also some really cool startup alley activations and a lot of really cool stuff along the sides with all the different emerging technologies as well. Can you set up a crèche for people in their late 50s? If if you bring um, some uh, little humans along, look, I'm happy to chaperone them and teach them entrepreneurship. No, I'm talking about for myself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'd like to... There needs to be a reprogramming space for people in their 50s and older who who really want to atone for what our generation and previous ones have done. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a human... We've inherited the DNA of our ancestors and I guess, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it, it occurs to me that, I, and I'm, I'm only being partly joking, I almost feel like there's a lot of well-meaning folks who are older who, who want to be part of this but are aware that um, our socialisation in some ways has, has been an obstacle for us to actually get involved. Is there some way that those of us who have been around for a while can actually support this without getting in the way? Oh, definitely, Ian. Um, You know, to this point uh, around the Global Entrepreneurship Congress, it it is somewhat of a a different um, audience. It's not going to be just, you know, the the Gen Z sort of next generation startups. You know, this is something that's been going on for many years. So you're going to have, you know, ministerial level um, you know, government leaders from all over the world, as as well as obviously the big, you know, the World Bank, United Nations um, government from all across Australia, um, as well as those leading the, the incubators and accelerators um, and the investors, which tend to be a bit, um, you know, older and wiser. So it's it's going to be quite a an interesting sort of um, intergenerational mix of, of folk that, that attend. Um, and will, there be a, will there be a, um, an obvious green lens? Will it? Or will that be a? Uh, will that be a, a, a sort of parallel stream or something? Or will it permeate yeah, so, everything? So, so decarbonisation and climate tech and circular economy is one of the the streams. Um, but I would say it, it will have a a a seventeen colour rainbow theme, i.e. Yeah, yeah, SDGs, yeah. because it's everything from from um, health and well-being through to climate action, through to reduced inequalities, um, through to sustainable cities. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be quite, um, you know, a, a broader impact focus um, across the Congress. I wonder if there's a space where organisational culture and organisational development could be discussed as a, as a, 
a point of leverage or as a, a locus for change? Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, potentially. Um, I think the... Uh, I think entrepreneurship is the, the, the machine. So that's more of an industry thing, I think. Um, yeah, but, definitely. You know, look, entrepreneurship as a, as a culture um, is is really something that companies are starting to shift towards as well, right? So I think if it was weaved into a, an entrepreneurial dialogue, then yes, potentially. Wow, fantastic. Josie, back to you. Well, I know that Warwick has to go, so we uh, we will stop there, and maybe um, we will have you back, Warwick, just before the Congress at some time, just to maybe pick up on some of these um, these topics. So thank you so much. Um, thank you, Ian. Thank you, uh, oh, Warwick, great. for being here. Very exciting. Um, we just, you know, I can see we could, we just touched the surface. Um, but I will see you in May at the um, at the Global I'm Entrepreneur Congress. Too. Oh, good, Brilliant. Ian. I'll hold your hand. Don't worry. <laughs> I put masking tape on. That's right. <laughs> no, it's, it, it'll be, it'll be a, a cracking.